Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn, if you will, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis 3, verse 15. It is hard to believe that in just simply one week, we will be to Christmas Day. And everybody's ready for that, right? Everybody has gotten your gifts, you've taken care of things, you have prepared, you know what you're cooking. You know what you're cooking? You're going to invite the preacher and his family over. You're, you're preparing that invitation already, probably. Wow. I hope I have more loving folks up in the gathering this morning than... I hope some of you today, as you've thought about Christmas and, and gathering together, some of you I know have said it doesn't feel like that. Well, I hope this morning feels like Christmas to you, okay? You finally got your 30-degree weather, and it is here with us. But we are looking forward to being able to celebrate. We celebrate, of course, today. We celebrate next week as we come together in the one service. And we think of what Christ has done as he came on our behalf as he came with a specific purpose of providing us salvation. We think about the Christmas story itself. And some of you probably say, well, if we're talking about Christmas and we're talking about the Christmas story, why would you still be preaching from the book of Genesis? I came this morning to hear a little bit about from Luke or maybe Matthew, but you're still caught up in Genesis. It is because I want you to know this morning that the story of Christmas, it did not have its beginning in the New Testament. In so many ways, God had prepared and had given us this message already in the Old Testament. In the book of beginnings itself, in the book of beginnings, God spoke about what he was going to do and how he was going to send his son. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This one verse in particular tells us what God is going to accomplish. Listen, as God speaks to Eve, or as he speaks to the serpent, that is, as he speaks to Satan, about Satan's relationship to Eve and to her offspring, this is what God says. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a verse I read some weeks ago as we talked about the consequences of sin. And we recognize the context of this. Basically what has happened, man has fallen. Adam and Eve, they have rebelled against the God of heaven. God comes and he speaks to them about the consequences. And he looks here at Satan himself and he says to this serpent, he says, there are consequences to you. And I recognize that there will be enmity or hostility between you and this woman, between you and her offspring. I recognize that. But I have a plan because one day her offspring will win the victory against you. That's basically what God says here in the book of the beginning. Well, think about this a moment. Think about this idea that God had a plan, that God had a purpose. You know, God had a plan and he had a purpose for us and for this world. He had a plan for salvation before the very foundations of the world itself. 
We're told that by Paul. Before the foundations of the world, God knew what he was going to do. I love this about God, that God just has a plan for us. Now, I have to admit to you, I'm not the best at planning. I'm not the best at preparing sometimes myself or dates or calendars or looking forward to certain things. Now, I try to. I've given more diligence to it. I have encouragers in my life. You have encouragers as well who will help me prepare, who will help me look forward to things. But I will be honest that it is difficult sometimes for me to prepare for the future. I mean, just for, just for the week or the two weeks or the three weeks or even a year ahead, it's very difficult for me to look ahead in such a manner. So as I was reading through this, it caught my attention that God was preparing, he, and he has been preparing for many, 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 many years. God knew what he was going to do. God had a plan. He knew what had happened. He knew that we had rebelled. Yes, in Adam, all of us, humanity itself, had rebelled against the God of heaven. But God was not just simply reactive. You know, so often when we make plans or we, we make plans in a reactive way, we see what happens and then we react against it. And usually those are immediate kind of plans. Like what are we going to do right now in this moment, in the present? How are we going to respond to that? Our God is not just reactive. Our God is proactive. Aren't you proud of that? Aren't you proud that God can look ahead and God knows exactly what's going to happen and God has prepared for that moment of your life and who you are? I'm so thankful for that. And I am reminded as I read through this first book of our Bible that God knew what he was going to do. And God had a plan. His plan was not haphazard. His plan did not come through accident. Throughout all of salvation history, we see his intentionality, his purpose for what he was doing. It was his plan. It was his plan. And that plan has existed, as I said, before the foundations of the world. Now, it's announced here. Some people call this, do you remember? I mentioned it two or three weeks ago. They call this first the... You all can build a guy's self-esteem. I tell you that. <laughs> this verse has been called throughout church history the Proto-Evangelium. Yes, you remember that now. <laughs> the Proto-Evangelium. What does that mean? It's a Latin word. It, it simply means first gospel. It is the first gospel. It is the first public declaration of what God was going to do. Because I said God had a plan. And God had a plan before the foundations of the world. But here, even in this moment now, in, in this creation narrative, if you want to call it that, God announces the gospel in Genesis. The gospel is announced. You see, the gospel was not just conceived in the New Testament. The gospel has always been. It's always been the gospel. It's always been about the good news. Even in this bad moment, I'm talking about in this fall and the consequences that had come, 
What did God do? God said, hey, I want you to know that even though this is difficult for you as Adam and Eve, and difficult for all of the offspring that will come, I want you to know that there is hope. I want you to know that one day, one day, Satan himself will be dealt with. And all that would come from him, all of his offspring, all of his seed, they will be dealt with. And it will be through your offspring. Eve, through your offspring, I will work and I will bring victory. It is an amazing proclamation of the gospel. You ought to just circle this verse, go back and just remind yourself of the good news that God had promised even in the book of beginnings. Now listen, God recognized there would be a struggle. God recognized there would be a conflict. In this verse, you hear him affirming the conflict, the struggle. He says here, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. So when he says, I put enmity toward you, toward the two of you, as you will experience in your relationship, what he is saying is, is there will be constant conflict. There's hostility that you all will have for one another. There will be conflict. There will be struggle. Now, certainly, Eve, as she has now fallen to sin, she will have this struggle in her own personal life. And she will struggle with Satan himself and, and the force. She'll struggle. But don't miss this. As you're reading through this, I think you see this idea that the world itself would struggle. Later it says, between your seed and her seed. Now I want to give you some different types of understanding of this perhaps. Maybe as you try to think through it, that you can see it in some different ways. What kind of conflict? Yes, between Eve and Satan himself, but also her offspring. Now in some sense, everybody could trace their lineage back to Eve. Agreed? Yes, you were here that Sunday. I preached on that sermon. I'm proud of you. Remember that one. At least you act like you do. I'm proud of you. Everybody can trace their lineage back to Eve. Every individual. Later on, in Genesis, we'll see, or earlier, we'll see where she is named the mother of all that is living. So all of us can trace our lineage back to Eve. Everybody. So there's a sense in where all the world struggles with Satan and his forces. All of us do. Every individual. Satan comes and he brings conflict in our lives. He tries to tempt us to, to sin. We struggle with that. Every individual has a sin nature that we have inherited from our great-great-great-great-great-grandpa, Adam. We struggle. There's a conflict. There's a struggle. All of us in this place should have experienced it. We have experienced it. We know what it's like. Sin itself can master us if we're not careful. Eve's son, Cain, he experienced this struggle. And in many ways, he lost that conflict. In chapter 4, verse 7, you remember 
Cain and Abel have brought their offerings before God. And God has looked favorably upon Abel's offering. He has rejected, in some way, Cain's offering. Cain, how does he respond? Well, he responds a lot like we would. He goes off and he pouts. He's mad. He's upset with God. And this is what God says to him. God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you shall rule over it. So this is what he says. He, he paints this image of if you're doing okay and if you're doing what you're supposed to do, look, everything's good. But if you're not careful, Cain, sin lies at the door. And, and the image that is given to us is this idea of this predator that is ready to pounce. It's ready to jump. It's ready to leap and devour its prey. He says, I want you to know that sin is right there, couching, ready to jump on you. And if you don't master it, you don't take control, you don't rule over it, it will rule over you. That's the conflict we experience, isn't it? Isn't that the struggle that we, we experience, even all of the world will experience, is if we do not recognize that we have to master sin, sin can master us, it can take charge of us. Of course, you know the story, and Cain does allow sin to control him. I'm going to get to this later, but thanks be to God, those of us who are believers, thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit is alive in us and gives us the power to master sin itself in our lives. Aren't you proud of that? We, we couldn't have ever done that on our own. We couldn't have ever done that. The world itself cannot do that on its own. It is only through the explosive power, the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can overcome these things. But there's a struggle. This enmity, this hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Satan said, I recognize that conflict, that conflict is there. So in some ways, you, you could say, all the world. But also, you could narrow it, I think, just a little bit here. Because as you read through salvation history, you will recognize that Satan himself especially, especially comes after the children of God. And there's this constant battle. Read the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. There's this constant struggle that Satan and his forces will have against God and his people. The offspring of Eve. God's true children. How many of us recognize that dealing with our children and grandchildren can really be some of the most tender moments of our lives? I mean, those are some of the most precious relationships, right? Come on, grandparents. Yeah. It can be some of the most precious relationships of our lives. So you know what Satan often does? He attacks our children and our grandchildren. Because Satan knows that those are the most tender areas for you. He knows that he can get to you through them in so many ways. So what does he do? He attacks the children. 
often through Scripture, what does Satan do? He attacks the children. And here as we see that there's enmity, there's this hostility, there's this struggle, this conflict between Satan and his seed and Eve, or you want to say God and his seed. There's this constant struggle back and forth because Satan tries, well, he tries to hit the most tender and precious relationship for God himself. So what is Satan constantly comes against God's children? We see it over and over. He may manifest himself in the person of Pharaoh there in Egypt. And he may try to oppress God's people. We know that he'll even, what did I say, attack the children because of his population growth measure that he brings. He attacks the children of the Hebrews, trying to destroy them. Satan can demonstrate himself through Pharaoh. Satan can demonstrate himself later on through the Assyrians and through the Babylonians. Some of you say, but didn't God allow that to happen? Absolutely. God allowed these nations to be instruments of his discipline. But I want you to know that Satan, he never saw it that way. I am convinced through history as these other countries came against the people of God that Satan thought in some way that he was winning the battle against the children of God and thus, and thus harming God himself. Satan believed he was in this conflict. Well, I would point you to the story of Esther. It's a beautiful story in our scripture. It reminds us, though, of the evil that is out there. The evil that will manifest itself personally and physically to come against the children of God. Satan himself seemed to, well, he seemed to indwell this man named Haman. He was the first Hitler-like figure, or not the first, but one of the most dynamic Hitler-like examples in all of history. He came against God's people, and listen, he thought he had their annihilation planned. He thought everything was coming together so that he could wipe the Jewish people off of the face of the earth. But there's one problem with his plan. God was still on the throne. Oh, I'm telling you, this is good stuff, folks. God was still on the throne. And all of these just-so-happen moments, I don't know if you've had some of those in your life before, just so happened this person was in the right place. It just so happened this person heard this. It just so happened, no, there's just, no. God orchestrated all of these things to save his people from destruction. The book of Esther never contains the name of God, but it has the fingerprints of God all over it. You see, Satan has constantly come against God's people. Here it says there would be this open hostility, this open enmity. But God cared for his people. Well, certainly as you 
think through this, you recognize that there was enmity between God's children and his offspring. Notice Eve's offspring and Satan's offspring. There's enmity. So in a sense, the world deals with a struggle. But in another sense, the world can be used by Satan against his people. New Testament teaches that we, as God's people, should not necessarily have friendship with the world. What does that mean? It means that we do not find our source. It does, we do not find our true relationships in the world schemes, the evil schemes that are out there. That's what it means. So we recognize that there's a struggle between God's people and the world itself. And let me say this. There are some people living in the world right now that are allowing the enemy to dominate their minds and their hearts and their lives. May I say this to you? Satan is not your friend. He may appear as an angel of light and he may seem to be leading you in a good path. My friend, I will promise you that Satan will lead you into destruction itself. All the enemy wants to do, all he wants to do, is steal, kill, and destroy. You will not know life. It's only through Christ Jesus that we know what forgiveness and life is about. But certainly as we look in the New Testament, he talks about the enmity between Eve's, or between Satan's seed and Eve's seed. In your translations, perhaps, as it is in mine, that word seed is capitalized. Now, there is some ambiguity around that of does it refer just to God's people? Does it refer to Christ himself? But certainly here there is no doubt that it can be applicable to Christ. So get this. Satan and his offspring in conflict with Christ Jesus. So how did Satan come against Christ? How did his offspring? Think a moment, even in the Old Testament, about how Satan tried in so many ways to compromise the genealogy of Christ. You could could go back here to Genesis itself. Remember, God had said to Abraham that I am going to bless you with a nation. I'm going to bless you with a child. And remember in Genesis 12... He says that from you will come a blessing for all of the world. We interpret that today to mean that Jesus Christ would be born. And he would be a blessing. He would bring the good news. He would bring the salvation to all of the world. Not just one ethnic group, but to all nations. But as you read through the Genesis account, and as you see the relationships, as you see the storyline, you recognize you'd recognize that Satan is doing all he can to compromise the genealogy. At one point, at one point, we know that Abraham goes and he decides he'll go to plan B. He'll have a child by his handmaiden, Hagar, and that hopefully that'll be the promised child. Wasn't God's plan. But again, I believe the temptation of Satan as he came to Abraham and others, trying to complicate 
trying to compromise the genealogy. All throughout the Old Testament you see that. But then when Jesus is born, Satan launches an all-out assault. The conflict, the hostility grows ever greater. One of those stories that we, or at least I, almost hate to read around Christmas. One of those biblical stories, the one that just will burden me and, and just hurt as I read through it is the slaughter of those young boys in Bethlehem. What did Satan do? Satan thought he could extinguish the life of Christ in those early days. And again, Herod, as though he almost indwelt the spirit of Satan himself, ordered the massacre of all of those boys two years and younger in Bethlehem. What did I say earlier? Satan will always go after our children. Look in history. He'll go after the children. Unfortunately, friends, he's going after ours even now in our culture. He'll go after the children. He tries to destroy Christ, but God, again, being on the throne, God delivers his child. After Jesus surrenders to baptism and begins his public ministry, he is called into the desert for 40 days. And it says Satan comes there to tempt him. How does he tempt him? First of all, with, with food, right? Because he had not eaten. So he says, hey, turn this stone to bread. Appeal, appealing to Jesus' physical appetite. Jesus refuses, quoting the scripture. Satan says, hey, come up here to the temple itself, the pinnacle. Throw yourself down. All the, the scripture says, because Satan knows the scripture, he says, oh, the angels will come and save you and people will recognize you. The real temptation of that is become the Messiah through this sensationalism. Skip the cross. Become the king. And then, of course, later, the temptation. Hey, here's the world. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the world. Satan never had the right to offer that. But he tempted anyway. Now, some of us think, some of us may think, that's the end of the conflict or the temptation that Christ felt through Satan. But that is not the case. If you read the scripture, it says Satan left him for a season. So he was to come back throughout Jesus' ministry. The conflict that was there throughout Jesus' ministry. And even his offspring. All the demonic activity. Satan must have unleashed every demon that he could to bring down the kingdom of God while Christ was here on this earth. Demonic activity all around. Even the religious leadership who would oppose. Jesus confronts them and he even recognizes their lineage. Do you remember at one point? He basically says that you are like your father. The father of lies. Those who would deceive. You're like, my personal favorite is he looks at them and says, you are a brood of vipers. You get that? A brood of vipers, that means you are little snakes. Basically what he says is, your daddy is a snake. Now, I know it doesn't have the same ring as saying your mama is a snake, but yes, 
still, I mean, that's what he says. He says, you are just little vipers. You're little snakes like the great serpent. You're just like him. And the religious leadership, they come and they oppose Christ. There in the garden, as Jesus was praying, I can't imagine, I can't imagine how Satan bombarded him with temptation of skipping the cross itself. Jesus committed to the Father's will. He is there. He prays, not my will, but your will be done. The conflict that would be there and the cross itself. You know, I mentioned up in the gathering a few moments ago when I was up there, but it is so hard for us to move our minds from the manger to the cross. But friends, it is necessary for us to recognize that he was not sent just as the baby that was born in a manger. But he was sent as the Savior who was to die for our sins. And there he was on the cross experiencing all the conflict as heaven and hell itself did battle. As Satan believed that he was on the precipice of killing God's son. He must have delighted when he heard Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It may have been the one moment, the one moment where all of hell itself rejoiced. At least the hellish demons and Satan, as they recognized or they thought they had destroyed the Son of God and separated him from his Father. There was great conflict. You see, there was a plan because God knew there would be conflict. But don't miss this last. Don't miss this. God said there will be conflict and there will be a constant struggle and we have seen it through salvation history. But God looked at the serpent and again he said, he, her seed, a.k.a. Jesus, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, any kind of bruise would certainly hurt. There's pain. This idea of bruising the, well, bruising one's own heel, Jesus, he experienced pain, as we know through the cross. But there is something here that he says about this injury to the head, a fatal blow. He will bruise your head. In other words, he will triumph over you and he will deliver you, serpent, a death blow. And through the cross, and as we know, through the resurrection itself, Jesus delivered a victory unlike any other, and he delivered a fatal blow to Satan himself. This is the way Paul records it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
he bruised the head of Satan himself, delivering the final blow. Yes, I understand that Satan still goes about and does so many things still opposing us today. I know that. I know that he still brings temptation. He still does his evil work. But, but I want you to know this. He is already defeated. And I believe the scripture when it says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I believe it when it says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Why? Because the victory has already been won. One day, one day, that victory will be consummated. One day. When Jesus comes again, he will not come through a manger. He will come as he breaks that eastern sky and as he brings his people to himself. We know that one day this old Satan and all of his enemies, all of his, all of his army will be defeated. They will be chained, they will be thrown in the abyss. By the word of God himself, victory will be known. That is the good news. That is the gospel. That is what we celebrate here at Christmas. And it didn't just occur or it wasn't just announced in Matthew or Luke. It was announced in Genesis itself. And I pray, I pray that today you would know that good news in your life. I pray that you would know that Satan has been defeated by the work of Christ Jesus. Today, I pray that you live in that reality of the victory. Yes, celebrate Christmas itself. Celebrate the coming of the Son of, of God to this earth. Celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Celebrate that God had a plan. Celebrate that we have a Savior. Celebrate that he was sent to bring victory on our behalf. Of all people, of all people, we have reason to celebrate. Would you pray with me today? Father, we praise you, we thank you for who you are. We do thank you that you weren't reactive, but Lord, you were proactive. You knew exactly what you were going to do to confront, Lord, this issue, this sin problem that we had, the brokenness that we had. And Lord, even through the conflict, even through the issues that we faced and that we continue to face, we live knowing that we have victory in you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. There are some in this place that are in full-fledged battle now. God, I pray that your spirit would give them the strength that they need, that they would live in that sense of victory and they, will, they would overcome. God, there are some in this place that, Lord, for them, Lord, they, they thought about this Christ. They've celebrated Christmas itself. They've done all these things, but, Lord, they've never truly committed themselves to you in salvation God would you work in their hearts would your spirit fall upon them now and just 
convict them in such a powerful way that they have to come to give themselves to you. Lord, we love you this day. We pray for you to work now through this invitation in Jesus' name.